Landon, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. There's so much to talk about today. I, I am pumped. Awesome. Excited to be here, fellas. Thank you so much. Of course. Let's start with how did you just, when did you decide you wanted to break into VC? Because that's super taboo and super difficult for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so what was the decision for, okay, I want to get into VC. And then what was your strategy for actually achieving that goal? Because it's really nebulous to a lot of people. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, crazy to think about sometimes because, uh, you know, the innovative companies that have built products that we all use today, um, Apple's, Airbnb's, Uber's, all began as startups. Um, and I feel like a lot of times we, as consumers, you know, we'll use these products and just blindly and not acknowledge, you know, the history behind them. But that's something that I've always been super interested in. Like, I'm a nerd. My favorite movie um, sort of type is uh, biopics, movies about other people. Like, I, w- I always love hearing like the origin story and like sort of how they got to where they are today, what they built. So um, I- I'd say the realm of entrepreneurship has always been on my radar. Um, but VC specifically, uh, you know, the capital allocators, the investors, the one who actually put money forward to help fund and grow these companies or guide them along with support. I'd say that sort of came up uh, in my life like circa 2019 to 2020 uh, when I worked at a startup. I was working at Cameo, uh, the app that allows you to get personalized videos from your favorite celebrities, um, athletes, uh, or Carol Baskin, you know, the random people from uh, the realm of Tiger Land. Or what was that show called? Tiger King. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I worked at Cameo. Um, I-, I got in at that company pretty early, uh, sort of before Cameo had this meteoric rise. Like now it's a household name. Um, but, you know, I was doing some freelance work I, uh, for this one restaurant. I got a Cameo from Charlie Sheen, uh, which drived a lot of foot traffic and, you know, helped put that restaurant on the map. And I was like, wow, like this company's based in Chicago. Like I should uh, check them out, see if there's opportunities to work there. And uh, yeah, so I ended up getting in with Cameo, like just when they were getting started as an intern um, and continued through. I was there for a little under a year. Um, you know, it started as an internship, supposed to just be three months, but it extended uh, longer because it went into the pandemic and they needed extra arms and legs and support. Um, so working there at a startup that, you know, went from like literally zero to one and more uh, was so much fun. But to answer your actual question, like when did I first find out about what a venture capitalist was? Um, it was from like the fireside chats that we would have at the Cameo offices with our investors. Um, you know, we had like Starting Line Ventures, which is a firm in Chicago run by a guy named Ezra, who I'm really close with now. Uh, Chicago Ventures, you know, Sequoia. Like we, we had these people that would come to the office and I would always, you know, just be sort of uh, uh, captivated by uh, their personal journeys uh, and their professions, uh, what they currently um, do today as VCs, investors. And as someone who has, uh, um, you know, um, not trying to say bad ADHD anymore because I think ADHD is sort of one of my superpowers. As someone who has great ADHD, um, I, I feel like I've never found like that one idea, you know, when it comes to building a company that like I would be able to personally focus on for 10 plus years, which is what founders have to do. You don't become a founder to do something for six months, five years. Sometimes like, you know, it takes eight years before companies really start to see success. Um, of course, not if you are working with Drive, because you know we have a pretty good track record. My point is, like, as a founder, you need to find that one thing, that one thing that you are willing to spend ten plus years on, and that's one of the first questions that I usually ask founders: Are you willing to spend ten plus years on this? So I was humble enough to say, okay, I don't have that. Um, I don't know what that is, but the opportunity to be able to work with so many different industries, 
so many different founders that are building so many different special things. That's it. Um, so that's how I started to become really interested in venture. Now I can see Kyle lighting up because that's very much Kyle's similar mentality, just a hyper curious person, just t- too many curiosities. Kyle, what do you yeah. say? Yeah. 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 It's totally accurate. Um, I want to touch on one thing that I heard you talk about, which is specialized generalist, because I yeah. personally identify with that sort of ethos. So can you tell us kind of the definition of that and how you came to it? Totally. Um, so I did not brand, um, you know, or come up with the idea of specialized generalist. Um, you know, I am just uh, sort of a prophet of its meaning. Um, I, I think uh, it was actually started by uh, Tim Urban, um, or not Tim Urban. Um, there's another motivational speaker. His name is Tim Ferris. Tim Urban's my favorite. Okay, yeah, I, I've met Tim Urban before. He's a very nice guy. Um, but Tim Ferris, uh, who I would love to meet one day, um, he came up with the idea of a specialized generalist. And let's sort of deconstruct what this means. Um, I feel like more people need to explain things like this. You know, you got specialized generalists. Let's just break it down for what it is. Um, on one end of the spectrum, you have generalists. Those are people who are able to do everything. Um, and I think the best founders start as generalists because you really have to um, do it all. Like at the beginning, founder-led sales, founder-led marketing, founder-led recruiting, founder-led HR. You kind of got to do everything. Um, you don't have to be amazing at everything, but like, you know, kind of broad familiarity with a lot of different ideas um, or topics, whatever it might be. That's what a generalist is. And then you have people who are specialists. It is what it is. People who specialize in one thing. They are the go-to expert at that one thing. Um, they are in the 1%. Um, doing one thing. Uh, so I think those are the best specialists. So again, looking at this, um, you, know, you got the generalists do everything, uh, like or polymath is another way to look at that. People who kind of do everything. Um, and then you have specialists. Specialized generalists is just combining the two. So um, I, I believe the best specialized generalists are able to find two to three to four things, like a, you know at least a handful of things, like no more than five, uh, because you become a generalist after that. The best specialized generalists find a combination of two to three things um, that are able to be tied together in a very unique way. In fact, you are the individual who kind of has found a way to thread them together. Maybe people are not looking at these two to three things um, in a similar way as they should, but wow, I can be someone who combines them. Um, and you don't have to be in the top 1% of each of those two to three things. In fact, you can be in the top 20% of two to three things. Um, but at the end of the day, if you combine those two to three things, you kind of become the only person who's doing that one thing. Um, and I think in a world where there's so much competition, if, if you know you're the top 1% of something, be that specialist, okay? But you got to be humble and understand that if you're not, um, you know, <laughs> it could be difficult to get there. Like Kobe, uh, I mean, bad example, but I, I'd say like, you know, people who are at the top 1% of one thing. And if you are not the Kobe, um, you know, of that industry, you got to bring other skills into it. You know, you got to maybe not just be an amazing, um, you know, person at the rim, but also a shooter. Or you got to be someone who can pass good. So, I mean, you know, that's light sports analogy. But the point is, like, you got to do a lot of reflection. If you're not in the top 1%, that's an opportunity to become a specialized generalist. And that's what I did. Um, you know, I went into this field uh, in an untraditional, uh, with an untraditional background. So I knew I was already at a disadvantage. I didn't go um, to, you know, a, quote unquote, top school, um, which is subjective because I felt like my school, DePaul University, um, you know, was a top experience for me. I didn't, don't have a background in investment banking. 
So I, I knew that I was already sort of at a disadvantage there. And if I wanted to make my mark in this space, it would have to be um, not just directly doing venture. I'd have to combine a few different skills. So while I have passion for venture and entrepreneurship, um, you know, I wanted to combine storytelling. Okay. You know what I did with the podcast. Um, and I didn't just want to be someone investing everywhere. I wanted to zero in on a city, an ecosystem that maybe was also, you know, on its uh, meteoric rise or had the pieces uh, to be an amazing ecosystem. And that's what Chicago is. So I want to be the go-to person, um, that has the Chicago insights, knows everything Chicago, lives, breathes, um, dies Chicago. Um, you know, what I do in my day to day now, it's bigger than, it's way bigger than me. Uh, it's bigger than, the firm, it, it's, it's Chicago, you know, like it's our goals and aspirations drive what we want uh, to see Chicago and the Midwest become. Um, so that's sort of my third bucket. Um, and, you know, I have a few other buckets that, you know, kind of sprinkle in there. But I think long story short, um, there's much value to becoming a specialized generalist. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the Leonardo da Vinci biography uh where it talks about how he would focus on the intersections between different industries and like yep. it's really hard to be a one percent storyteller and it's really hard to be a one percent chicago native and it's really hard to be a one percent community builder but to be a community builder in chicago seed investor like you get smaller and smaller and it, it's pretty easy to be in the top one percent of that bucket that you're creating and you're, the, you're on, your only competition. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And and I think focusing on that um that intersection is exactly um the path that you've taken and also one that leads to good outcomes. So I want to ask um I, I was going to ask about the buckets that you you kind of define there, but I want to talk about the startups that you're looking for um and kind of the areas that you are looking to invest in. Um mm-hmm. Obviously, AI is extremely interesting right now, but what are like the two or three that you just can't take your mind off of right now? Yeah, well-worded question um, because there are two questions there. Like, uh, and I'll kind of talk about the firm first. You know, we're thematic, so we're constantly picking up new themes that we want to look at. Um, you know, the why now? Like, why does the company need to be built today? The tailwinds they're riding on is very important to us. So, with that, new topics, new themes, new macro-level trends are constantly coming up. So there are over 60 themes at Drive that we look at um, and can invest in. And there will be more. Um, as we continue to scale, grow, evolve, there's going to be more themes. Um, you know, what I'm interested in, though, and also just another caveat, I can invest in whatever like we look at currently at Drive. So again, over 60 plus themes. Um, and a lot of those are on our website. And I think there's sometimes confusion because I say like what I like to do and they're like, oh, they only do this. Like, no, we, we do a lot. Um, but what I am very interested in, and thanks for running it like that, you know, what I am very interested in right now, um, yeah, for sure, like creator tech. Um, and we have a company that just relocated here from Boston, uh, to Chicago that's sort of building the HubSpot, uh, for musicians and creators, uh, using artificial intelligence. So creator tech, creator AI, um, I, I think any tool that allows creators to become, uh, more efficient, um, and sort of, replace work, uh, hiring, um, augment their work, I should say as well, because you really need to hire in order to scale as a creator. Like you look at Mr. Beast, who was kind of hitting the same numbers for a long time. It wasn't until he brought on 30, 40, 50 people when you started to see that hockey stick growth. Um, but creators don't have money to do that. Um, you know, I, I think only 9% of full-time creators, um, 50 million creators 
was only 10% full time. So 9% of that 10 time, uh, 10% um, are making over $50,000 a year. So majority of creators do not have the funds to bring a team on. Um, if they can use artificial intelligence to sort of um, increase their work efficiencies, um, put out more content, uh, have better data on their fans, like know, knowing exactly when your fans are online, when you should be posting, so you're not just doing things blindly and um, wasting time, you know, curating to different cities that don't care about what you're doing. Like, so important to know and care about what your fans think and where they are, who they are. Um, and a lot of that can be optimized as this company is doing with the use of artificial intelligence. Um, giving creators and musicians actionable insights on what they should do next. So yeah, creator tech, artificial intelligence in general, like AI transformation, I'm so interested in. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it's important to sort of have contrarian views when you can. Um, I think a lot of people are jumping on the wave. It's here. It's a big thing, 100%. And it's not going anywhere. But, um, you know, not sort of becoming a part of that herd mentality, like having different takes on artificial intelligence is really important. Um, you know, Peter Boy, big investor, you know, great quote he has is, you know, it's important to be a contrarian, but it's very hard to be a right contrarian. So everything that we look at in generative AI um, and artificial intelligence, you know, it's got to be backed by data and something that we've seen, you know, we don't think that market-defined companies will be built on top of chat GPT. Um, sounds like an obvious claim, but a lot of people are just kind of throwing money at anything. And I think that, uh, you know, defensibility and moat is going to be a huge question for a lot of these companies. I think it's okay to, like to start, you know, to sort of build out a use case and, um, sort of, you know, start to become, uh, get, garner interests on top of chat GPT. But as soon as you can, after, you know, getting all the data you need, you start to fine tune, you got to move off of that. Um, so that's something that I think is a contrarian take. And also, you know, looking at companies that, you know, existed before generative AI, and maybe they're bringing that into their models today. I, I think that's interesting as well. Like, and I think like it's sort of like a, you know, we're, yes, we're investing in generative AI as a technology, but a lot of investors are just investing in like generative AI companies. When I rather be looking for companies that are companies that are using generative AI. Um, so I think that uh, that's uh, something that's really important. And uh, healthcare. Uh, you know, democratizing access to, um, I'd say, information that's crucial to make better decisions in healthcare. Um, and then also, like, you know, you got the current model of healthcare that's fee-for-service, where, um, you know, uh, doctors and uh, clinicians and providers, you know, they're paid out on the amount of times people visit a hospital, the quantity, when it should be the quality. So there's this new, it's not new, it's been spoken about for a long time, but that, uh, it's uh, sort of value-based care. It's this new model in healthcare that I'm really hoping that we see one day where, again, people are paid out if a patient gets better over time. My first investment before Drive, my first angel investment was in a company that's helping in tackling um, uh, value-based care. So um, yeah, healthcare is a big area of interest. You know, We invested in a company here out of the pre-seed fund that is helping people monitor and manage their long COVID. I mean, that's affected 23 million people already on paper in the U.S. Um, I know that's a lot, but, uh, you know, the, yeah, you can now see the ADHD. I'm thinking about a lot of different industries, <laughs> a lot of different things. But, I mean, man, I, it just fires me up. It's so exciting. Um, and I'm excited about what our founders are working on. I'm excited about the 
up to five founders I speak to on a daily basis now, just in my role. And I'm excited about all the universities I visit and just meeting with these early, early. They're going on a tour, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I sort of tour all of April, you know, just visiting these different universities. And it's not that I'm just sponsored by the funds, like sponsors and like a project in partnership with the funds. Um, specifically with Drive, you're saying? Yes. So yeah, I'm going on behalf of Drive. Um, but just like it's in our name, man, like, you know, there's no way to apply for what we're doing. Like I'm constantly on the go. I'm constantly driving around. I'm constantly flying around. Like we meet founders where they're currently at, uh, in overlooked places. They might not be getting the attention or recognition or capital they need to grow. And, um, you know, I do that by traveling, hosting events, building community. You got to be on the go, uh, especially when you're looking early. Uh, for sometimes founders before they're founders. Um, so I'm not just sitting around waiting for people to come to me. I'm constantly like, um, you know, seeing which city I can hit next. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of your contrarian takes is the importance yeah. of not taking remote meetings whenever possible and actually pulling up and investing in a single city and building community in one place and hosting events and, and all of those things. Yep. Was there, is that something you've always felt or is there like a, a point where you're just like, this is kind of not as good. Like, where, where did you develop that conviction? Yeah. So I got into venture through a, a podcast and I use the podcast sort of as my own sense of diligence. Like, before I get into this space, I want to know everything about this space. And a big part of that was interviewing so many different investors, um, so many that I even made a separate show specifically focused on investors and uh, VCs of all different shapes, sizes, industries ecosystems, um, wanted to see it all. And from that, uh, I compiled data. Like, okay, the best investors are the investors that I think are the best, you know, return-wise and um, investors that I, you know, um, want to look up to and, you know, uh, want to be able to work with one day. Like, this is what they're doing. Um, and then also, you know, speaking with a lot of other investors that maybe just uh, weren't doing it right. Um, and that's simply my opinion. Or they could have, you know, done this better, or, you know, they should be leveraging this channel more. Um, and that's the beauty of podcasting. Like when, when I started early, I mean, maybe just like sub 10 episodes, like it's easy to sort of like listen to someone and want to copy their advice or like listen and say, Oh, I can do that. But when you get to like interviewing over 200 people, it's like, it's impossible to do what everybody did. Um, and I wish it didn't take me 10 episodes to realize that. So I really, found out that you got to pick and choose what works for you and what doesn't. And that's fine. Um, use these opportunities as hosts to just listen, absorb, take notes. And everything that I'm saying now worked for me. And you guys might be disagreeing with a lot of the stuff I'm saying, and that's fine. Completely fine. And I, in fact, that should be encouraged. Um, yeah. So I did that diligence. I said, okay, this is what the perfect investor looks like in my mind. Um, and I think that founders want investors that have that entrepreneurial mindset. Like I am building a startup. Like I, I really feel like I'm building a startup because I am. I'm building something that's new for our firm, something that I need to think about distribution. Here's go to mark pre-seed funds, right? Yep. Done. Yeah, yeah. Like catering to our customers, um, user research, like fee getting feedback, um, building out new products, like, you know, maybe this type of event or like college visits. You know, that was a new feature that if it doesn't work, iterate, get rid of it. If it works, make it better. Um, so I'm building a startup and I, I think founders, I'm convinced that founders have respect for investors that like act like founders because they are founders and maybe even I'll say builders. Like I, I like the word builder, um, because great word. We're, all, we're all builders. 
Um, and I'm building, you know, like I in the office early through weekends, like constantly just like sort of brainstorming on like, you know, like how I can continue to like make make this experience better, like for my, for my founders. So, um, and, and that's been backed by data. Like it's proven that by partnering with high quality investors, investors that, and you can define that in whatever way you want, but I think high quality means investors that are involved, investors that are more than investors that are friends, therapists, confidants, um, people you can, uh, sort of, you know, go back and forth with, uh, people who are going to connect the dots for you. Partnering with high quality investors leads to high quality companies and numbers don't lie. Um, I, I think drive long before I started at drive, I've only been there for since September has had that same mindset. Um, and that has been the reason why we've had so many wins, um, and why our founders love working with us. I want to go back to a point you were making about when you interview 200 people, you cannot take all of their advice. Yeah. I think that's something a lot of people get wrong. Uh, and something that lots of people talk about, like you just need to find one person who just like has the results more or less that you want to have and just like commit to following their ecosystem and use their playbook to get where they are. And then like only once you're there, then you like pick whoever's next to get you to the next place. So of the 200 or so people you've interviewed now and including folks like Steve Wozniak and, you know, Francis Suarez and Keith, your boy, and just like dozens and dozens of people, like who are those people that you identify as the, of the 200, these are the people who's like, worldview, belief system, habits, mindset is like, I'm going to just kind of commit to this person's way of doing things or like a blend of like two to three people. Yeah, dude, that's a really good question. Um, and yeah, Keith Raboy, thank you, not Paul. <laughs> uh, wow, that's a good question. Um, so I, I think first off, there's a lot of truth in what you said and something that I've done, uh, of course, but still, you know, like you got to do it in your own way um, always. And that that's just sort of my thoughts. But yes, I have been inspired by um, you know, more guests that I've had than compared to others. And I think uh, Mark Suster at Upfront Ventures, uh, someone who I you know still consider a friend. Um, I, I love that guy. Um, I just see how he moves and how he talks uh, to you know different people, whether they are billionaires, whether they are you know a founder that's just getting started, and he, he just has great emotional intelligence. Like he treats everybody the same. Um, and he's so respectful to everybody. And I think like once you hit a certain level or reach a certain amount of success, well, I don't think I know because I see it, you know, like, um, a lot of people will become like either closed off or they become rude or selfish. And I just feel like that's the type of guy who has not changed at all. Like in that aspect, like he is the same guy, uh, that he is now personality wise than he was, you know, in his twenties, like the, the marks that we were talking about in the episode. Um, so just such a kind, thoughtful guy. Um, so I've, I've taken from that. Like, I, I'm not an asshole. Like, I've tried to be. It's hard. Like, it's hard for people who are not naturally uh, mean. Like, I want to be nice to everybody because I am. And obviously, you know, there were pros and cons to that. Um, like, I don't turn down meetings with any founders, um, even if I know it's an area that we don't invest in, because I just want to be able to still give them feedback and advice. Um, and I'm, I, I hope that I never, you know, st- stop doing that or... Um, I know, you know, bandwidth is going to continue to become lower and lower, but, um, you know, still making time and I I push meetings sometimes to May and like, you know, if I know it's an area we're not investing in, like I'll still meet with you, but like, you know, please respect my calendar. Um, so yeah, I I think like Mark's ability to like, just be who he is. Um, like that's something that like I've continued to be inspired by and I never want to lose that. Um, 
Ruben Harris, the founder and CEO of Career Karma, um, just how he communicates uh, and uses social media to get in front of you know larger audiences is something I've always really respected. Yeah, he's the type of person where it doesn't matter like what concept he's talking about. Um, could be the most you know complex thing that like is understood by one him <laughs> or like this thing that everybody knows. Like he's not going to belittle you. He's you know he's going to be very just aware of who's in the room so he knows like specifically you know how, how to word certain things and he's he's just a very clear communicator um so i think that he is someone who i've been inspired by um and yeah i, I had a chance to work for jason calicanis um uh that for a year and um he just going from this untraditional path in the vent and into venture and angel investing um for sure you know it was uh um inspiring you know while i was working for him um yeah getting that experience was um helpful and then uh yeah you know i'll give you i'll give you those three but man i mean i've interviewed so many people and um you know if you were to ask me the same question tomorrow i'd probably give you a whole new um mm -hmm. set of three people but um those are the three that uh i'm just thinking about now <laughs> so you started um in their 20s kind of in the midst of a crisis graduating mm -hmm. college in the midst of covid and you set out to sort of answer this question, which is your ambiguous 20s. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you do it? Um, yep. And uh, what answers did you find through the process of creating that podcast? That nobody has the answers. <laughs> uh, I think that's the best thing, man. Like, I, I, I'm fortunate to have been able to sit down with uh, people who I've idolized, you know, since I was a kid, like co-founder of Apple. Uh, like crazy um and i i've sat down with some amazing people like off air um and uh people who like you know i've looked up to for a long time and just been able to have conversations with and what i love about the medium of in their 20s like this is you know back when they didn't have their shit figured out back when they were you know on their meteoric rise to success um really allows them to sort of like you know take it back and you see a very different side of these individuals and i think that uh the biggest thing i learned is like you got to stay hungry. You got to stay curious. You got to ask good questions in life. You got to, um, you know, not just do things for you, but also for others. And I think that, uh, you know, interwoven with that, like we're all figuring it out. Um, you know, I, yeah, I started the podcast during a crisis that we were all figuring it out and like no one had the answers. A lot of people still don't have the answers about what happened. Um, uh, and that's why I love the, you know, long COVID company that we were investing in, like we want people to like, you know, at least know more about their symptoms uh, so they can make better decisions for themselves and not just depend on what other people are, um, you know, guessing or thinking should be uh, the right move for them. So everybody's figuring it out. Seeing uh, how the industry handled everything with SPB or, you know, two weeks ago showed that, wow, like investing titans, people have been investing since before I was even a thought. Um, did not know what the hell was going on. <laughs> so I think like um, during times of uncertainty, uh, you got to really, and you know, the founder of uh, Drive, Chris Olsen, like genius, um, you know, he, he really put it sim simply like, you know, when everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off and doesn't understand what's going on, like you got to just stick to the fact. And that sounds much easier said than done because you get in these echo chambers of Twitter, like the world's burning down and like, oh, this is happening. Um, or I'm guessing that this is going to happen tomorrow. You got to take it back and like only focus on what you know, 
the facts backed by data. Um, and then you got to be cool, calm, collected to make the right decision um, that you think is right in that right in that time. Might be right, might be wrong. You might come to find out, but um, can't be a guessing. So when I feel uncertain about things, yeah, just going back to like focusing on, um, like uh, you know, focus on what you can control, um, and like you got to really like take a step out of your um, body sometimes and say, oh, like okay, this is what I do know, this is what I can act on. And I'm going to make my next move based off of that. And again, it might be the right move, might be the wrong move, but just yeah. guessing and making moves blindly. Um, no, no captain of a ship does that. You know, it, you got to really be calculated. I'll let Lewis ask the next question, but I wanted to, I'm, I'm curious, have you read The Third Door? I'm familiar with The Third Door okay. and I haven't read it, but I'm very he, familiar he kinda, with it. He kind of went through a, a, a similar uh, journey as you uh called yeah thing but you know in his 20s looking for the answer how did you do it he interviewed bill gates and lady gaga and all yeah. these people and it's funny because he came kind of to a similar conclusion which is like no one like the the conclusion is that no one knows There's no conclusion i don't want this don't want this to come across the right way but if there was a right answer to that question a definitive answer to that question it, it would just be it would be out there you know what i mean yeah. it's like there's, there's a lot of people who've gone on the quest for it and found and learned a lot, but not learned the definitive answer for that question for all people for all things. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I think one thing that's pretty collectively agreed upon to be a good use of time. I think that's kind of the other way you can deconstruct the question, right? Like things that for most people more often than not are wastes of time or bad paths. And you can be like, and these things that more often than not are good directions and like good things to invest in. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like learning, building, making friends, building community, good things. And then people are like, getting addicted to drugs about like there's like things you can sure. say and like take off the list and there are things you can add to the list is like it's a good idea to choose from these but like there's no right combination uh but one thing that i think you've really invested in super heavily i've been trying to invest in really heavily as well is in-person community hosting events being yep. the center of a community uh what's your playbook what do you tell people to do you know obviously chicago's on lockdown there's a there's a king of that city so yeah people, if they're in chicago <laughs> no. there's too much competition it's no, Seaver's landing no, just no but, because, uh, well people might want to do it in different ways and that's fine like, exactly more, it's a co-host yeah just, um great well, what's your playbook what's your go-to event type yeah well yeah i'll give you some bars i'll say a few different things here i think that um you know i, I read a, a book that, the art of gathering that that's one i would totally recommend uh recommendation from twitter I think a lot of people, when it comes to gatherings and events, I actually was just speaking at an event like five minutes before we started this show. Um, so <laughs> I, I just said the same thing because I noticed like, um, wow, this is it. And this is the beauty of Chicago and something I've seen too, like with, with gatherings and community, like it's never just founders. It's never just investors. Like the room I was just in had founders, investors, um, there's someone in insurance. Uh, there was someone that did corporate real estate. There was someone that, does corporate furniture. The person that got our furniture for this new, nice new office. Um, and I think that, uh, at least the gatherings that I put together, like I want different voices there. Um, but I'm still intentional. Like I know like, Oh, this person might be able to get use out of this person or find value from that person. Um, so I try and bring creatives to the room with founders. Um, I try and bring athletes to the room with investors. Um, so my, my advice there, I think so many people are focused on like the what, like I want to host this type of event. And they're focused on the where. Like, I want to f- host an event on the rooftop of this cool building. Not enough enough people are sort of thinking about the who. Like, who should be in that room? And I think that's how you start with bringing together 
uh, a successful event, a group. Um, and I think that is the, the difference between an audience and a community. An audience is sort of, you know, you just spitting out words and helping people out um, and, you know, providing uh, insight, value, sure. But like a community is sort of like when members of that community can help other people out and learn from other people. So I'm very proud of like a lot of the connections I've made. People have become friends, coworkers, um, people who've invested, you know, in like other people's companies. Like, like that, like I orchestrated it, but like I didn't, you know, obviously write that check. I mean, those are people who I put in the same room. I was intentional. And, uh, you know, that's a real example. You know, someone just got seed funding, um, from an investor that, you know, I just, we all had dinner together. Um, so I think that, uh, I, I really, uh, relate community building to architecture. Um, I tweeted about this in, uh, 21, uh, what year is it right now? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm like that. Long, long week already. Um, but yeah, I tweeted about this a while ago and I just found it. I just reshared on my story today. So love that you brought this question up, but I really relate community building to architecture. Um, I had a pretty prolific architect on my podcast. Um, and he sort of said like, you know, the best architects don't and would never say that they are, they make buildings. Um, they instead make spaces that bring people together and the buildings are sort of just the medium to do that, like the vehicle to do that. And I think of community building as like, you know, very similar thing where, you know, I never want to have like, it's not just an event. And sure, sometimes I might brand it as like event gathering. It's more like being intentional about who should be there um, and creating that space. Um, because if you're not intentional with that, then like works, you know, ideas, um, innovation is not going to come from that room. So being very intentional is really important. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, because I have people who are relocating to the city um, and always asking me like how I got to, uh, you know, become like the guy that like brings people together and host things, um, sort of got to re reverse engineer it. Everybody's going to do it differently, but this is just my advice. I, I, I'd say like, instead of trying to host events immediately, if you're new to a city, breaking into tech, like no one knows your name as I was just like a few years ago, less than that. Um, like I, I recommend finding like two to three people that are the like go-to, you know, community builders, um, in that city, um, and sort of, um, you know, like going to all their events, showing face, you have to be a yes man or yes woman, like early, you do have to say yes to a lot of things and go to that, go to that, um, uh, cocktail hour, happy hour. <laughs> like you gotta do a lot of it. Um, and from then, uh, you know, you start to befriend the people, the attendees, you know, the people who are brought into those spaces, the rooms, and then you can recognize the gaps. Like, okay, like there should be an event, like focus on this or that. Um, I'm not going to say I created the idea of like, you know, bringing different people in different industries to rooms, but it's something that I've prioritized and maybe I didn't see enough of it. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, you recognize some gaps. Um, and then from there, it's a little easier to start to host your own things and build community. Love that. For me, there's so many different pieces to it. It's like, it's back to the startup thing, right? It's like you find your competition and competition, not in like a competitive, like it's not the right word. Competition's good. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. But it's not about beating other people. It's, it's not. not about like doing better than them, but it's about like, okay, they want to see what's in the market. Exactly. Yeah. They hosted this event this way. And honestly, I didn't like that. Uh, so I'm going to do like, I hate loud music at events. Like it drives me crazy. I'm like, I did yeah. not come here to listen to loud music it's like i yeah. came here to talk to people and like mm -hmm. like if anything that's hosted like a networking event that's hosted at a nightclub 
Like this is just the, the worst combination of circumstance and purpose I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and it drives me so crazy. So like all my parties, I just like my roommate, like he always turns it up and I just turn it down. I'm like, no, like we didn't bring people here. Like there's, yeah. we literally live two miles from all the bars in town. People can go there. I will pay for all of the Ubers from anyone at this party. Watch the music louder, send them to the nearest nightclub. Uh, that is just not the vibe <laughs> that I'm having. Yeah. A uh, cop just laughed himself out of the window, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And you know, everybody's going to do it differently. Um, and that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I kind of just had a vision of like how I wanted to host my events and made it happen. I know you're building your own startup and investing and, um, but you, you have to have ideas that are bouncing around your head that you can't go after. So is there one that's been bouncing around your head that you're not going to get? There's two land-ins and, you know, you yeah. could put that guy in charge of running the fund to drive capital and the second yeah. guy could go get cut loose. That's a fun question. Um, yeah, to be honest, no, like I'm so focused on what I'm doing right now. And like, it really just brings me so much passion and, um, I have so many ideas for like what I want Chicago to look like and what I want this on to look like. Um, we can talk about that too. And, yeah. That's easier. Yeah. Like just growing those, man. I mean, we, this is an $80 million seed effort, um, which, you know, could net us 160 investments um, over, you know, uh, the foreseeable future. And it didn't take a lot of work to get there and scale that up. Um, so just trying different things and, Things that I can't reveal yet. Um, you know, <laughs> awesome. uh, you gotta be very, uh, you know, strategic when you bring things out. And then a lot of things I'm currently doing, you know, maybe they're working. Chicago's got the secrets, yeah. man. That's the thing. Yeah. 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 So, um, if you want to find out from the secrets, you got to fly to Chicago. You got to fly to Chicago. Yep. Land in all the sauce, no sauce on Zoom. As someone in venture, you got to be optimistic on the future. You got to be excited about the future. You got to crave and want the future. Um, and yeah, I, I think that I'm just really excited to see what we can do here. I want to ask you about dot connecting as well. That's something that is another piece of the puzzle, like a very practical thing. Yeah. Uh, what's your philosophy around dot connecting in terms of like making sure you do enough of it or if it's totally organic or how you got started or if you think people should do more of it? Just, yeah, it's, it's something I jotted down last time we talked. It's like important to you and yeah. a big piece of your journey as well. Totally. Um, the best relationships are formed when you can provide value first. That's like the first thing I'll say. Like, I'm constantly thinking about what I can do for other people first uh, before like, you know, what they can do for me. And even actually if I identify something that like, I know this person can do something for me and I, this specific thing, you still got to provide value first. Um, and I think a huge way to provide value is by connecting the dots. Um, and to kind of, you know, create that, yeah, you, you do need to sort of increase your network, say yes, man, be a yes, man, like be at a lot of places and listen to people, ask good questions, and really pick their brain, understand what they're doing currently, but like what they're missing out on, and what they want. Um, sort of, if you think of like, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, you know, what is the most important thing to them that they do not have access to right now? And start to build like an internal CRM, or just you can literally do it on paper, you know, I have Excel's um, that I just have with people, contact information, and like just little bits of information uh, from conversations, like what they were looking for at the time. Um, and then I think that a lot of it has to happen naturally. Um, go into this knowing that like, you will not be able to provide value for every single person, and that's fine. Um, like, I would never offer to code someone's website because I don't know how to code. So like, you got to really understand your skill set first and like, how you can provide value. And it, just a huge way for me is connecting the dots um, and introducing people. 
So I think like once you sort of build uh, a large enough uh, inventory of connections and like really understanding what they need, what they want, um, then you can um, help people out through that. Um, so that is one of my superpowers uh, that I'm proud of, like connecting the dots. And then of course, you know, like there's other value I give too, like storytelling, which is very relevant, you know, in what I do now with early stage companies, um, you know, strategy for marketing, um, go to market growth. Um, you know, those are things that I give and then connecting the dots is a huge one. Um, but yeah, you, you got to start by like knowing what your skill set is and what you can offer the world. Do you want to talk about writing? Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, writing is a, um, something I've always been like really uh, passionate about. Um, what's your current cadence looking like in terms of like commitment level, if it's yeah. a hobby, if we're doing 60 minutes every morning, first thing. So yeah, when I, when I started this year, it, it was sort of like, I want to put out, uh, two newsletters a month or sorry, two articles a month. Um, so I put out two last month, um, you know, two in January, um, mainly on things that I was, you know, passionate about either the creator economy, Chicago, um, or, you know, advice for founders. Um, and I've started a few newsletters, um, over the past years, uh, mainly through in their twenties, but I, um, sort of wanted to, um, create a newsletter specifically focused on my efforts at drive. Um, and sorry, this is corny, but it's called the driver's seat. We, we put out our first edition last Monday. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a mix of like what I'm currently doing, what my founders are needing events around the city. But I had to build that credibility first before I could like expect to have people's emails. Um, I had to build that foundation. And I did a lot of that by just like sort of putting out like this um, no strings attached content. So that was either through, you know, the two years of podcasting I've done, stuff I share in socials, um, you know, the articles I wrote. Um, and I was pretty impressed and sort of like, you know, uh, right on my thesis, like, you know, in the first 24 hours of the newsletter being announced slash it being out. Um, I think we had like 300 subscribers and a 70% open rate, which is like crazy um, for like a first time. Um, and obviously, you know, numbers are always going to go up or down from there. But I think like first time publication uh, newsletter, like I wouldn't have gotten to that if I didn't like build the brand of like a writer that writes about, you know, Chicago and these things. But now people like knew like, okay, I give Landon my email. This is what I'm getting in my inbox every Monday. So um, I think it's another thing of like chestnut checkers. You got to really uh, be strategic about like, you know, the foundation you're building before you launch certain things. But yeah, writing, I love, man. Like, it's great. Um, something or what would you say is the benefit you get out of it besides like, facil- like teaching people about Chicago? Like what is, like, why is it worth doing? Yeah. I mean, if you think of it through a funnel, deal flow. I mean, people <laughs> know me as like, the Chicago guy, you know, that's investing in early stage startups. Like I'm, I, I really am consistent, you know, with like putting that brand out there. So that it leads to a lot of high quality companies, you know, wanting to pitch. And the second they think about Chicago or other investors in other cities, you know, like that maybe aren't investing in Chicago, like that they send me a lot of companies. So like, it, you know, it helps, yeah, get people in the door for sure. Um, but all that to say, like still, it's a mix of me doing that, but mainly a majority of me like on the go still but yeah i mean i think brand building is it's crucial um in this space um with so many firms being out there and you know these being 10-year relationships you know a lot of people say like investing in a company it's like a you know it's like a marriage but i I actually bill Gurley even said this like i don't agree with that because you can always like get divorced you can get out of a marriage it's more like having a kid with someone 
Um, so it's a big decision, like for founders to make which, um, you know, firms they want to work, uh, work with. Um, and I think like having that positive brand, like is very helpful in like, you know, earning that trust and credibility that, and also yes, track record numbers, uh, you know, don't lie. Um, but I, I related a lot to just branding, you know, like think about like the effect that like a Louis Vuitton gives versus, you know, like a, a Shein or like a lot of these other brands, you know, like it makes you just feel different things. And you know, that's no shit talking to Shein or Louis Vuitton. I'm just saying like, you know, yeah. branding is so important. The iPhone, like, why do I buy a new iPhone every single time? Um, not because it's better than an Android, but because uh, like how it makes me feel the status and um, sure the utility I get out of it, but it's more than that. So branding is super important. So while founders have so many options, um, you got to stand out in that sense. Yeah, I think that you can add branding as one of your buckets because through the research I did for the podcast, it's clear that you're you're thoughtful about it. And I think that the strategic thinking about branding is a, a huge skill. Um, I wanted to go back to something you said really early, which was about the 10 years that a founder has to commit um, yeah. and how that's one of the first questions that you asked to founders. What What is it, do you think? Like, What's the essence of it that allows somebody to be obsessed with something for 10 years. When you look into their eyes, like, and obviously it's intangible, but like, what, what do you think is driving that? That's a really cool question. Um, dude, it's going to be different for every founder, but I mean, you know, it's really like an itch that like they can't an stop itch. thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, keeps them up at night and like, you know, that's the most important thing to them. Mm. Um, where, you know, I just had lunch with, um, you know, a pretty prolific angel investor in Chicago yesterday. And like, she even said, like, it's almost like annoying, you know, like the founder, like that's all they care about. And they will stop at nothing to accomplish that. Whether it's like because of some, you know, larger, you know, life vision for themselves or, you know, some resilience, sense of resilience they went through or experiencing the problem themselves. Like they are so like, just, and sometimes, you know, the best founders are kind of like, it, it's, knowing to talk to, uh, you know, because they like are just obsessed with that. And like, that's all that they can think about. Um, not to me, cause like I respect it so much, but like, that's how she worded it. Like, I kind of, I get it. You know, I've worked, I've worked for some of them and like, I, I see that. Um, but like that fires me up and inspires yeah, it's me. Like, and to be honest, like, I feel like I can be like that sometimes. Um, you know, like I never want to be again, rude to others, but like, I am obsessed with what I do. And like, some people just don't get it and that's fine. And I, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I just watched this cool Jake Cole clip, like, I think two days ago on Twitter, and he said, like, he has so much respect for people who, like, you know, just can live simple lives. And I do, too. You know, like, I, I think that uh, sometimes I wish, yeah, I, like, wasn't constantly thinking about how to change the world and, like, you know, like, wasn't constantly thinking about work. Um, but, like, I love it, man. So I think uh, best founders, best builders have that. Um, and other than that, like, great communicators, great storytellers. Um, because story is crucial. Story is going to help you convince people to leave their comfortable job to, to join you on something that isn't a rocket ship yet. Your story is going to help you convince investors to invest up to millions and millions of dollars in an idea or something that doesn't exist yet or hasn't been proven out yet. Um, your story is going to convince users to um, leave a product that they're so comfortable with. Um, they've been using for five, 10 years uh, to join and use your, you know, thing that is works half the time. Like story is crucial. 
So I think the best founders, like they're salespeople. Um, they know how to talk. They know how to communicate um, and uh, sort of captivate audiences. One question I, you know, was thinking about and prep for this was a lot of the A-listers you got in contact with for your podcast, mm-hmm. you know, I could ask the question, you know, how did you do it? But I think like the answer to me is like, you just had a really good story for your show. I mean, among other things, right? Like, yeah. like tactics for, for outreach and getting their attention and, and all of that. But like, that's only getting their attention. But why they said yes to doing your podcast, because, you know, in the beginning days, it wasn't humongous. Yeah. It's not going to get them the reach of like a Fox News interview or a Netflix documentary. But yep. it's like the story. Totally. So how- Very well said. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, consistency. You know, like you got to believe in something before other people do. And I think a lot of people like just the more episodes I put in, like the more reps, like hitting 50 episodes, 60, 100, like they start to see that they're like, oh, okay. Like he's been doing this for 60 straight weeks. Um, like every single Monday was well, part of the story. They respect that. Um, so I think that, uh, like that is one thing, like you got to be consistent and just don't expect things to happen overnight. Um, so that's a, and then B, uh, to your point. Yeah. Like this timing was right, man. Like I could have launched in their twenties five years before and yeah, I don't know. Um, or five years later, um, maybe not would have have been as successful but like being able to say like i am a early 20 something that is living in a catastrophic uh, event um you know that's changing the course of history uh yeah what were you doing you know back when you didn't have your shit figured out and like you were faced with uncertainty maybe the you know a late recession maybe you know like the vietnam war like you know like these other traumatic moments that happened around your 20s or like, yeah, how did you kind of uh, face that and deal with that? Um, people, you know, loved going back and reflecting. So I noticed a gap in the market. Um, and there were proof points behind that. I always saw these Instagram posts, like, so what Oprah was doing in her twenties and like JK Rowling, you know, I uh, lived in a car, Jeff Bezos lived in a McDonald's. And I was like, okay. I was saying like the storyline being appealing. Yes. Like the, yeah. Like, yeah. Like the hook. Exactly. And I always created like more. Meg book, like, right. Being like a yep. whole thing as well. Yep, exactly. And yeah, I always wanted more. Like I, I wish, I always wished that there was a podcast or a newsletter or like, you know, a book that sort of focused on that year, uh, decade. And th- there have been some, but like not enough. So that's sort of what led to the obsession, like noticing a problem, wanting to see that fixed. Um, the why now again, like with COVID, the timing made sense. Uh, market size, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of young people out there. Um, but then also older people that are, interested in hearing the stories of like how their peers did stuff um so yeah like in their 20s was a startup Kyle, let's do uh, a few bonus questions i'm gonna queue up first i'm gonna I'm make an out-of-pocket comment not out of pocket but just a funny comment hopefully it's funny yeah i've i've, I've really built it up but i, I think the, the storyline for that is, is a lot more compelling the other day i had this idea for kind of in growth hacking our youtube channel with shorts and it's been working very very well in terms of like just posting shorts from like someone who's an A-lister, whether or not we've had them on the show, yep. just because it's going to get the clicks and the views and the algorithm the whole bit. And so now that's working well. So I'm like brainstorming further ideas for it. And I want to sh- start the uh, a-, a little mini series called Whack Shit. Basically being like, because you have the, you basically say, it's like when you deconstruct effective social media hooks and then just replicate them, that's like the playbook. Yep. Right. So it's like your playbook was X successful person, X hyper interesting person with a crazy interesting backstory times what they did in their 20s equals yep. like good piece of content good piece of content good piece of content just repeat 100 200 times 200 good pieces of content and then 
Anyway, so my mini idea was the Wax Shit series. So like Elizabeth Holmes from Th- Theranos saying Wax Shit nonstop for 55 seconds. <laughs> and then SBF from SBF from uh, FTF saying Wax Shit nonstop for 55 seconds. And then Billy, just like for shorts, just like a series of like 10 of those shorts. I'd and just see if those that. like blow up the channel just with like comedy, entrepreneurship, psychology, humor of just like, uh, what's the Firefest? The Firefest guy saying Wax Shit nonstop for 55 seconds straight. Yeah. And I'm saying 55 seconds because I need it to be under 60 seconds. So YouTube short. Anyway, that's my uh, idea of the day. I love that. Do it. A little mini content series. I've I've tasked our our shorts guy with it, so we'll see if he comes through. But it's just like a funny little hook. Just people saying whack stuff and like the the, the person being an entrepreneur who was super relevant, but like now is kind of less relevant and it's not a good thing. And like, let's kind of like look through the receipts and like find a soundbite of them just like saying some out-of-pocket stuff for a minute straight. I will run that as a short series. So. Hopefully I didn't say too much whack shit today. <laughs> and and then... Landon Campbell saying whack shit for 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <stop. laughs> um, yeah, I'll go with uh, a bonus question. When you landed at DePaul and you, well, I guess I should ask you first. Had you had experience with Chicago prior to college? No. So when you landed at DePaul and in Chicago, what, what surprised you about the city? Um... The architecture, for sure. Uh, beautiful buildings. And, and just the fact that Chicago existed. Like, I mean, it's a big city. Um, big, big city that no one from California would ever visit, you know, like on family trips and like it wasn't a vacation spot. So, yeah, more or less just how nice the people were um, and how good the food was and the architecture and the views, like r- the river in the middle of the city and, and the lakefront. Like, what? Why is this place? I mean, I know Chicago, like, has been a, a thing like you know like it's, it's but still i was like damn like why aren't more people from california you know like giving us the respect we deserve so um at least that's a big driver for me um proving people wrong uh you know on the coast that think that you know we can't do special things here that for sure happens still um and yeah i'd say that's what like surprised me What's the uh, one or two little food shout-outs for Chicago must-dos? Wow. Um, I don't know if I should do this because I actually haven't had food yet. I'm really hungry. Um, Al-Shaval is one of the best burgers in America, and that's not just by my um, rating. It's been voted the best burger in America, I think, like 10 years in a row. Um, might be going there tonight. Uh, Three-hour wait, but I know some people there, so hopefully I can so get the there. best burger in the in the world kind of night for Landon, everybody. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. So, um, yeah, that place is great. I'll, I'll just give you guys that one. Can't think about food too much. I'm starving. <laughs> what about Portillo's? You a Portillo's guy? Portillo's is cool. Yeah. Portillo's is great. Okay. I'm in the yeah. one other place that has Portillo's. It's Scottsdale, Arizona. No one knows that. I had no idea. Well, so that's awesome. But that's my only Chicago trivia I have that's for, funny. for the listeners. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any other, any other quickies, but it's been a blast. And yeah, I it's been a lot of fun. One of my favorite podcasts here. for sure. Thanks for letting me ramble. Anytime. Uh, I don't know. I, I saw you publish an episode like Monday of this yeah. week. So show is still active. It's not the only thing on your plate, but you're on Twitter. You have newsletters. You have, I believe, an Instagram page as well. Yep. You're all over the place. Where should people uh, get in touch if they're looking for pre-seed money or just looking to continue learning from you? Yeah, Twitter or Instagram, Landon20s, Landon20s. Um, when I turn 30, that's going to become a mess. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and, and then, uh, yeah, my email is Landon at drivecapital.com. Um, and just back to storytelling, you know, I, I'm not reading an email that's six pages long. So just be very short, simple to the point, <laughs> like, um, clear and respect that if I don't get back to you in 24 hours, it's because I am very public with my email and 
that reflects my inbox, which is always on fire. So um, I try and be as responsive as I can. But um, yeah, if I don't respond and a few days go by, just bump it. And I think that uh, we're all adults. There's nothing wrong with that. Amazing. Thank you so much, Landon. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much.